Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's perfect. Like home. Like Westworld, you mean? Massacre. Did you kill all those people? I did what I had to do to survive. You say you want to start a revolution. What kind of revolution are we waging here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial recap podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen. And I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. What we do on this podcast every week is we recap this past week's episode of Westworld. Uh, and we will spoil everything that happened, but we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes that includes anything on the next time on preview. This week we'll be reviewing season three, episode seven, entitled Past Pawn. That's P-A-S-S-E-D, Pawn. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Now, uh, before we get into our recap, we got to talk about some announcements we have. We got a few announcements. We got to go over some emails that you sent to decodingwestworld at gmail.com. The biggest announcement is, John Robinson, I'd say probably the number one question we get about the podcast, other than why it is I use your full name, is uh, <laughs> when is the episode going to drop? Where Where is the episode? When can I expect to get Decoding Westworld, Right. And uh, tr- truthfully, I think we've spoiled our listeners this season because I think we've been dropping <laughs> these episodes hours after the episode has aired uh, on HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we will not be able to stick to that schedule for next week's episode, season three, episode eight, which is the season finale of the show. So I am very sorry. It will come out a day or two afterwards, um, but we will be recording an episode. Just know that if it comes out a little bit late... Uh, we are still doing it. So if if basically I'm trying to preempt a lot of tweets of like, where's the episode? <laughs> At Joe wrote this. Where's the episode? Um, and uh, maybe I'll have headed off like 50% of them. And that'll be a success with this announcement. Um, but yep, we will be recapping it. Just, just sit tight and it'll come out a day or two after uh, the episode uh, of the show airs on HBO. Okay. But it means we'll be watching the finale live with all the rest of you guys. So not like literally with, but, you know, in spirit, we'll be with you. So that'll be fun. Indeed. We're all in it together. Yes. Well, yes. Uh, so, yeah. And and to be clear, Joan Robinson, I, I have been watching the episodes live, you know? So... Uh, I mean me. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, but... Uh, and so we, we, need, we need some time for the, for the Westworld episodes to kind of marinate a little bit before we can, we can drop the insights that you are uh, so used to on the show. Um, or insight? Anyway. Oh! Okay. Uh, speaking of insights into the future, let me let me give you the listener uh, some insight into what the process was for us recording this season of Westworld. Now it's been several years since we launched Decoding Westworld. Uh, a lot of things have happened: job changes, life changes, 
And, uh, you know, we are both extremely busy people right now. But uh, we sort of a few months ago started talking about, you know, should we do another season of Decoding Westworld? And do we have enough time to do it? And we decided, you know what? This is almost definitely going to be the last season of Westworld. Like 99% chance is going to be the last season of Westworld. And, uh, and, you know, this is a a really enjoyable show that we like, we enjoy recording it. Uh, there's a great audience behind it. We get a lot of spirited emails every week. And it's like, you know what? Let's just, this is going to be our swan song for the Westworld podcast. Let's just, uh, let's do it, Jonah Robinson. And, uh, we did it. We launched a a Kickstarter. A lot of people contributed and that was awesome. And we really appreciate that. But we're like, we're going to, we're going to go out with a bang because even though we're probably recording too many podcasts each right now. We're like, let's let's just w- once more for the road, you know, once more for the road for decoding Westworld. And uh, then we found out this week that Westworld has been renewed for a season four, which, I mean, I have to say, I, I was in shock when I when I heard this. Not only that, but according to the Hollywood Reporter, there is a possibility it will continue up to season six. Uh, I, I guess depending on how good uh, the next season does. I, I don't know that it's dependent on was. that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I don't know that it's dependent on that. Maybe it is. Um, I was shocked. Uh, and then I think I texted you, and you were shocked, right? Um, <laughs> we were shocked and then, together. And I had only seen the season four thing, and then you were like, six seasons? And I was like, where did you see that? Uh, and then we both read The Hollywood Reporter. I mean, the thing, the illuminating thing in The Hollywood Reporter, and you know, is, is reported by Leslie Goldberg, who who knows her facts and sources. Um the illuminating thing in in that report is that is this tidbit about the fact that Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan were paid in advance for the next three seasons, four, five, and six, when they signed their overall deal with Amazon. So HBO is like, cool, cool, cool. You can go do your thing with Amazon, but we're going to put you on the leash for the next, for three more seasons of Westworld. So they were paid in advance for that, right? So, if I'm HBO, I'm like, well, I've already paid these people. Like maybe I'll strip down the budget if it continues to like lose ratings and stuff like that. But like, I've already paid these folks. I'm going to get shows out of them. And like, truth be told, even though the ratings have, um, dropped significantly since season two, which dropped, I think somewhat significantly since season, uh, after season one, um, still a solid performer. I mean, it, it did well, more viewers yeah. than like Watchmen. Right? Yeah. It's still one of their higher rated shows. So there's something about that, like familiarity, you know what I mean? Like in the era of IP and like uh, networks and studios being afraid to sell us anything that like doesn't have a name that we're familiar with. The Westworld name does have that, that coveted familiarity with it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, at this point, who knows when season four will even be released? Uh, and it's it's likely that we will be in a whole. You and I will be in a different phase of life at that point. I'm not even really joking about that, you know. So uh, we'll see what happens because uh, uh, I, I think a lot of people are wondering if we will do season four, if we will recap season four, and we'll see. It's it's definitely not something we had planned on because we didn't know that this was gonna happen. <laughs> I was like, someone was like, oh, does this mean you're going to do Decoding Westworld for like all the remaining seasons? And I like responded with a shaking head. No, again. And someone was like, yeah, right. You'll be back. And I was like, oh, OK. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I guess um, let me let me ask you, Jenna Robinson, like what, what is your because 
Because it feels like <laughs> both of our reactions are not like, oh my gosh, we're so excited that there's going to be more seasons, right? I don't know. Like maybe, uh, I don't know. Hope Springs Eternal sometimes with Westworld. But like, I felt like it was a hard sell, somewhat of a hard sell to get you to do this season with me. And so I'm like, <laughs> I basically had to be like, come on, Dave, it's fun. We get to talk to each other sort of thing. Um, it, it wasn't because you were like, can't wait to go back to Delos. Uh, so I don't know. Um, the uh, we'll see. We'll see. I uh, hope springs eternal. Can you uh, maybe, you know, this off the top of your head, but if you had to guess, when would you say Westworld premiered in the first place? Uh, season one. Yeah. Let's say 2016. Is that right? Yeah. October, 2016. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about, right? <laughs> Four years ago yes. is when Westworld started. Uh, so it started in the Obama era. Is that right? Or is that, is that after it started before Trump was elected president? <laughs> <laughs> it happened over the course of the Trump election. Uh, it was, it's, it's it possible, was an October surprise. It's possible that there will be a different president by the time the next season of Westworld premieres. So, wood, buddy. All right, so yeah. there we go. So, will will we be back for a new season? It's it's unclear. Uh, I will say that this season has not been terrible. Um, it's been a pretty mixed bag, in my opinion. But there have been some really amazing sequences, some amazing episodes, some amazing scenes, and so. Uh, some amazing ideas that I really admire about the show still. So here's here's what I'll say. If if I have the opportunity to, <laughs> I will always say yes to a David Chen podcast. A, da- a David Chen joint. Yeah. As it were. As it were. Well, speaking of David Chen and Joanna Robinson joints, um, a lot of people always ask us, where can I find more of your two's work? Uh, after your two's work, your, <laughs> yeah, they literally use that phrase, uh, which <laughs> makes no sense. Uh, but uh, it just so happens that after, you know th- there's two more episodes of, or one more episode of Westworld remains after this one, right? So the se- season finale is happening after this one, and that's going to be the last episode of Decoding Westworld for at least a very long time. <laughs> but John Robinson and I have already recorded <gasps> a new podcast. That is theoretically coming out in June, uh, and we are very excited about it. The name of the show is Truth versus Hollywood. Uh, it's a show where we look at films that are based on real-life events, and we talk about uh, how real they are, uh, how truthfully they uh, depicted those events, and we also hear from experts, who some of whom are actual participants in the events. Uh, so it's a really cool project, and I'm excited for it to get out in the world. Uh, again, the name is Truth versus Hollywood. Joanna, anything you want to say about this? Yeah, this was really fun. We watched uh, a lot of fun movies, uh, and you know, it's a good project if maybe you haven't like seen some of these films, which I would consider classics. Uh, and then it's just so it's. It's basically the podcast version of something I always do when I watch something that's based on a true story, which is like <laughs> hop on the old Wikipedia. Except we've got we've got sources that are better than Wikipedia because we've got yeah like better than Wikipedia. Who are, I mean, I mean to tell you, is that possible? Anyway. Tune in and find out. <laughs> tune in and find out, indeed. So tune in for Truth versus Hollywood. Uh, that's going to be out in June, and it'll be the next thing you can hear John Robinson and I talking about uh, on podcast form. 
Uh, and I think uh, you all really, really enjoy it. If you like this podcast, I can't, I can't imagine you like this podcast and wouldn't enjoy that one. So again, check it out, Truth versus Hollywood. All right. Before we get into this week's episode, uh, let's check out some emails. We got this email a few weeks ago, actually. Uh, so I think a, a few weeks ago, we had actually talked about Rehoboam and how I said, oh, this is like uh, the the biblical kings of Israel, right? And like it, it's what I learned in Sunday school. And you pointed out that in an interview with uh, the creators of Westworld, they said, actually, no, it's not inspired by the Bible at all. It's inspired by a book called Stand on Zanzibar. I think before we actually identified that, uh, this listener wrote in, John Stanish, wrote in to decodingwestworld.gmail.com. He said, uh, I wanted to point out a possible major influence on the show, Stand on Zanzibar by John Brunner. A seminal cyberpunk book, one of the central plot elements is that the world depends on a massive supercomputer called Shalmaneser that processes everything everywhere for everyone. The book's format is experimental, a sort of mashup style that feels like video montage. Some chapters are seemingly written from the AI's perspective, tracking anomalies and variables around the globe. Couldn't help but draw a connection to this season's Rehoboam, uh, partially the abstract way it's been tracking anomalies each episode, with the black circle on white. I wonder if, like in the AI, in the book, this AI will be implied to have more of a personality than just a simple machine. End quote. So that comes from John, and uh, I just like uh, I like it when our listeners recap books for us and just give us a little little summary of what that book is. But that sounds like a cool book. Plus, uh, I mean, did we meet an AI with a personality this week or we not? Totally we totally did. Sure did. Yeah, we totally did. So the book is stands on Zanzibar, and thanks to John for writing into us uh, with that comparison. Uh, now, Joanna Robinson, we also got a couple emails uh, commenting on the fact that you called Charlotte Hale's companion uh, her baby daddy in the last episode of this podcast. Um, and I think you had a couple thoughts to share on that, right? Yeah, the people who wrote in were pretty ticked at me. Um, and uh, one of the points... I don't agree with the other one uh, we could talk about. Uh, the first point, uh, these folks seemed very convinced that uh, the character of Jake, played by Michael Ely, uh, was Charlotte's husband and were kind of ticked that I didn't just call him Charlotte's husband. From my close watching of the show, um, and I could be wrong because I've been wrong before, um, I don't believe it's ever confirmed that he's her husband. It's confirmed that they've got a kid together. It's confirmed that they used to live together. They don't currently live together. He has a different apartment than she does. Um, they obviously have some sort of split custody because, like, sometimes Charlotte has to pick uh, Nathan up from school, et cetera. Um, and so I was unsure whether or not he was ever her husband because sometimes people have kids and don't get married. So I didn't want to inaccurately call him her husband. So I picked something else. And I said the word – the phrase that I chose was baby daddy because that is uh, just a phrase that I like and I use actually a lot. But some of our listeners pointed out that because Michael Ely and Tessa Thompson are both people of color and this felt like a racially charged sort of phrase to them. Um, I just want to say that that is not at all uh, how I intended that. Uh, but if that is how that landed, I really apologize. I have in my life used that to apply to people uh, who are white, but uh, I get that it could have come across that way. But I was basically trying to avoid inaccuracy, and I could have just said uh, father of her child. Uh, so in future, I will probably just avoid that phrase altogether and just say father of her child, uh, Jake, R.I.P. 
I appreciate your sensitivity, John Robinson. Uh, I, I will say I agree with you in terms of the fact that I don't think it's ever confirmed on the show that they were married. Like I, I, I uh, was trying to watch and listen for that as well. You know, um, I, it, he has been described as her husband in like recaps and also on the wiki, the Westworld wiki. But I, again, I don't think it's ever confirmed. So I'm just curious, like do people just make the assumption, you know. I'm curious where it comes from. Um, Did I miss a quick line? Is that is yeah. it an official HBO description that I missed? It's possible. I was just saying, like, I never, I never heard it in the show, and yeah. so not, which I, I just, did not either. So I thought yeah. it was a very reasonable uh, conclusion right. to come to. So uh, anyway, all right, uh, we got one last email that I want to read. This one's from Megan. Megan writes into decodingwestworld at gmail dot com uh, that she has this idea that might be a very weak link. Um, but, uh, she says here, let me see. Um, you've talked about the name significance of Solomon and Rehoboam and their biblical underpinnings. When I heard those names in the show, my ears perked up as well as someone who once had a test grade that was solely determined by my ability to name all the books of the Bible. Solomon and Rehoboam sparked my interest, but so did Sirach. Why? One of those books I had to memorize was Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H, pronounced the same as Sirach. And when I heard Sirach's name originally, I thought there had to be a connection there until I saw the spelling. So I let it go, but then I did a little research, and I found out that the book of Sirach in the Bible is a collection, is in a collection, called the Books of Wisdom. Specifically, Sirach is viewed as a book that presents the fruits of past experiences to provide moral teaching for the people of his time, and the book of Sirach is considered by some to be a precursor to the book of wisdom, which sees for the just man seeking happiness the full hope of immortality. Stay with me, I know that might sound confusing. Said slightly differently, the book of Sirach draws on past experiences to instruct others on how to live their lives so that one might achieve the ever-aspired-to-eternal life. Does it sound familiar yet? The way I see it, and I will present the caveat that I could be completely wrong, not only is Sirach's first name, but also his last name have deeper meanings behind them. To me, Engoron Sirach seems like a great representation of the purpose of that book, Sirach. Is he not a man who is drawing from past experiences, a.k.a. collecting personal data, to guide people into living their best lives, a.k.a. pushing them towards a life that will be best for them, to achieve immortality, a.k.a. ensure that humanity as a species lives on? Am I so far off? Uh, anyway, I'll stop it right there. But uh, she, she, uh, to her credit, she puts a little like Charlie Day pointing at the yarn wall in yeah, yeah. Sunny Philadelphia <laughs> graphic. Carol, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, thought that was a neat little observation. Is Sirach named after the book Sirach in the Bible, and is there thematic connection there? Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I, I, I question the idea of immortality because that seems yeah. the or immortality thing is connected to sort of like what Delos was doing with like, you know, Jim Delos last season and stuff like that. That's a pursuit of immortality. I don't think that that's something that Angarad is after in any way, but um, it could be wrong. Speaking of books, you know, last week uh, on the podcast – we talked about this flashback that uh, the man in black had or William had, and it was to his youth, and he was reading something like The Lady of Sulon or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like a made-up book. Mm-hmm. On occasion, I watch YouTube recaps of Westworld episodes that point out like the little things that that even Joanna Robinson misses, which, trust mm-hmm. me, is actually very hard to do um, in the sense that you generally catch almost everything. And 
Uh, one of the things that this person, uh, Ryan Airy from Screen Crush, identified is he said that he thinks the fact that it's like the Lady of Sulon and therefore uh, a, a completely fictional book, like why wouldn't they have just put something like King Arthur or something like that in there? Because that stuff is public domain. They don't need rights to that. His interpretation of that was that uh, th- the reason they use the fictional book is to make you think that William may be misremembering things. Like that you cannot trust his memories, hmm. uh, which I thought was an interesting interpretation because it's like, well, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I I read another interpretation of that that was um, because that's in the first section of his flashback, right? Yeah. Which is like when we still think that he's just like a bookish, uh, nervous boy bullied by an alcoholic father, right? And so. Um, misremembering is one way to put it. Another thing is like, uh, this is a made up backstory, right? So yeah. it's like a, a made up, a made up tale for a made up backstory. Right. Sort of which, thing. which, which yeah. there's a lot of in the show overall. So, right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, just another random observation. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. And also, uh, you want to talk about the title of this week's episode, right? Yeah, just really quickly, and then I promise we will talk about the episode itself. Uh, is, that, is that what we're here to do today? I forgot. Uh, <laughs> the title of the episode is Past Pawn, uh, which, as you might imagine, is a chess term. Uh, a past pawn is a pawn with no opposing pawns to prevent it from advancing to the eighth rank, uh, i.e. there are no opposing, opposing pawns in front of it on either s- the same file or adjacent files. Oh, wow, we're into, like, uh, hardcore chess things. Basically... Um, I think, I believe it means that a pass pawn is something with like nothing in its way to get into the opposite of the board. And, um, you re- might remember, um, like, isn't it true that if you like get a pawn to the other side of the board, you can yes. turn into a queen, right? Correct. That's, uh, so, <clears throat> so there's a couple possibilities here, uh, in terms of how it applies to the episode we just watched. Um, is there a pun who is uh, clearing a path to become a queen that could apply to Charlotte, right? Maybe who's like sort of getting some competition out of her way uh, to maybe be the only Dolores left possibly. Mm. Um that's one option or the idea of a past pawn, someone who's been used as a pawn and passed around um, I think would probably apply pretty aptly to Caleb. So, um, yeah, there's a couple options. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any other ways you might interpret that? Nope, those sound like good interpretations to me. So, okay, if anyone else has a better idea about like why they th- who they think might be a pawn without an obstacle on their way to becoming a queen, everyone else seems pretty uh blocked. But Charlotte's Charlotte's <laughs> clearing a path. <laughs> As we see at the top of this episode. So, Before we begin our conversation, overall thoughts on this week's episode, Past Pawn. There's stuff that does work for me and stuff that doesn't. It's very exposition heavy. Yeah. And it feels like they tried to just reserve a bunch. Like, this is something that Westworld runs runs into sometimes and it didn't bug me so much in season one, but like just so much heavy lifting of explaining that they have to do right at the end. And it seems like for the sake of surprising us. And uh, so there's just like the, the Caleb repeated memory stuff kind of got on my nerves this episode. Cause I feel like the conclusion we land on is pretty close to what you and I had sort of 
come to with the genre episode. Yeah. Like I, I don't mind having that spelled out for me. It's just like the slow crawl to get there uh, is a little uh, li- 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 laborious. I guess. Right. Cause they basically um, already gave it away at the end of that episode. Right? Well, like, I mean, it depends how closely you're watching the show. I think if people aren't like re like if, if the mandate for Westworld is make your show less confusing, then them spend then like how ungrateful uh, of me to then complain about them spending an episode explaining everything. But uh, I, I think it felt pretty clear by the end of genre kind of what had happened. There's some added stuff we learn right. about like the Rico app and stuff like that. But I thought it was like pretty clear what had happened, but like this episode sort of assumes that like you didn't get that at all. And right. now we're going to start from scratch, which might be true for people who are watching more casually, you know? Well, not, um, not only that, not only are we going to start from scratch, but like we are going to, cause there's still a lot of mystery around, you know, he's having the flashbacks early in the episode and it's like, what is actually happening here? And, and it takes until the whole episode to reveal what's actually going on. Right. Like so. I wish, like maybe I wouldn't have been, you know, a little irritated by it if he had gone through the whole episode, he's on the mission with Dolores but we get the whole info dump at the like very end as he's like getting the the real version, yeah. you know, cause I feel yeah, like we've, yeah, yeah, heard, exactly. we've heard the whole, like I was in the war, my buddy Francis died. Like I was in the war, my buddy Francis died. Like yeah. we were in Crimea, you know, sort of like we already knew all that stuff anyway. Uh, so that, but, um, and then also like Jeffrey Wright, Bernard, that whole plot line is really saddled with a lot of exposition as well. Um, so what does work for me? I think all the AI stuff is cool. I think the Solomon stuff is cool and we'll talk about it. Uh, I think the Maven Dolores fight is very cool. And I think the fight at the beginning is very cool, but the Caleb stuff and the Bernard stuff is a little iffy for me this week. How about you? Uh, it was, it was okay. You know, I think uh, you're, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of all the exposition in the episode. And, and it's like, kind of clunky in my opinion um because you have this machine that's kind of talking back and then they have to like make up this reason you know uh at the end dolores says you know you know, you stay you have to he has to tell you what the plan is you stay here and i'm gonna go out and fight mave you know and it's like okay like is this really how it's gonna it just felt a little bit inelegant to me um but uh, you know, that's what happens when you have an AI needing to explain basically what's been <laughs> happening in the history of the world um, in the course of one episode. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I will say some of the visuals are really great. There is this visual that's used in the trailer that's uh, Dolores, her arm has been cut off and she's like crawling away yeah. from Maeve. And then like the hangar doors open and Maeve is standing. It's just like what an incredible visual, you know, and it's it's not only... It's like a type of visual that uh, it doesn't just look cool, but it also uh, is like thematically interesting of like Maeve like opening and shining a light onto this whole situation. And uh, and so there's a handful of those like visuals just from a sheer visceral perspective are very entertaining, very memorable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a as a piece of storytelling, uh, a little bit rough this episode, a little bit rough. Um, I... I like imagining, um, you know, when you have to watch someone um, figure out how to hold their body uh, in order to s- convey weightlessness. So, right, she has uh, Evan Rachel Wood crawling across the floor has to 
you know, make it seem like her upper arm has nothing sort of holding it right. down in any way. But in reality, and, she did have an arm, you know, when right, she has some, right. She has some sort of like green sock on her arm mm-hmm. in theory. Right. And so imagining her having to like figure out how to hold her arm so that it looks, you know, weightless while having that weight on it is, uh, something that is interesting for me to think about. Yeah. 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 Uh, she, I mean, she's always killing it and yeah, she, she's, she brings it every single week, man, no matter how much exposition she's expected to drop. She's, <laughs> she's really good. It. Yeah. She's good in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought she was really good in this episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So last week you made a prediction about mm-hmm. who, uh, Maeve's help would be, right? Um, who would be reanimated to help Maeve? We, uh, first of all, you said Clementine based on, uh, ID numbers, and that mm-hmm. turned out to be correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also guessed Hannah Rio. Is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce her? I don't remember how mm-hmm. you pronounce her name. Uh, Hannah Rio, and you yeah. were right about that as well. So well done, John Robinson. Nicely done. Um, and we found out in the beginning of this week's episode that you were right. Um, so there's a se- uh, scene in Jakarta, Indonesia, uh, and, and you see the Rehoboam saying, like, intervention in progress. Sato is speaking to his men. He says, Deliver this to our friend. And he has this pretty badass-looking suitcase that he wants to be delivered. Um, now you have what's, a the, what's in the box? Sorry, yeah, what? <laughs> you have a theory as to like, who this person is. And for, yeah, do you know what's in the box? And you have a theory as to who this person is in Berlin is, but you're drawing from external knowledge that doesn't confirm your theory, but like may sway it. So if you don't want to hear Joanna Robinson's theory, then uh, skip forward by a couple minutes. But what's your theory of who the person in Berlin is? Okay, I have no idea what's in the box. Something goop related? I don't know. Um, but yeah, Sato says, deliver this to our... Have you found him? Deliver this to our friend. Uh, it could be a number of people. Like, maybe it's Bernard. Maybe it's William. I don't know. Uh, but my guess is that it's the uh, the final Dolores Pearl that is still out there. Mm. Um, because we know that one of the Dolores Pearls was in Berlin based on something that Sirach's lieutenant said, um, I think it was two weeks ago. Um so my theory as to who that is really quickly, uh, so as not to spoil the people who skipped ahead, uh, is that in an Instagram photo, I was kind of looking at who was at the premiere and also – and then I noticed uh, someone who was in an Instagram photo, uh, Clifton Collins Jr., who played Lawrence, mm, love uh, showed up at the premiere and also in an Instagram photo with some other members of the cast. Uh, and uh, I was tr- I was kind of – I was trying to see like who, who has been on Westworld – um, maybe speaks German because that's not like required, but I thought it might be interesting. Like, you know, if they pick a, it, like, because they, they could have picked anywhere in the world to put this person, but they picked Berlin. So I'm like, oh, maybe they picked an actor who could speak German and that would be fun. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr.'s father is German. Mm. So uh, the pieces fall into place. They all fall into place. So Cl- Clifton Collins Jr. played Lawrence in earlier right. seasons of or the show. L- or El Lazo, if you prefer. Mm, um, he's he's half Mexican and Native American, like on his mother's side, and then German on his father's side. So there Very we go. Very cool. We will see. Um, so then Sato gets a call from Charlotte, who looks honestly in better shape than she looked last week. Um, yes, but she's in deep shadow. All you see is her face. So like, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. And where did she where did she get that face? Indeed, indeed. Uh, and she says she wants to streamline operations. Um, she's off Dolores' plan. So. Uh, there was a question, an open question as to like who blew up Charlotte Hale's family last episode. I don't right? think that's open. I was pretty sure it was Ciroc, and then Evan Rachel Wood said as much on Twitter that oh, okay, it was Ciroc okay. who blew up the car. Because I think there was a, some people thought it might be actually Dolores herself. Right, right, up, right, right. Okay, yeah. so, 
But anyway, Charlotte's pretty pissed, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's pissed off at Dolores' plan, right? Right. She's, I mean, even if it is Sirak who blew up the car, which it is, um, and even if she knows that, um, she also feels like Dolores just, like, didn't care whether or not Charlotte right. died for the cause the way that Connell's died for the cause. And so um, Charlotte's like, I just call her Charlotte because it's easier for me. You can call her whatever you like. But um, Charlotte's basically like, cool, it's my plan now, <laughs> Dolores, uh, which means she's getting rid of the competition, it seems like, um, and has ratted out the Musashi version of Dolores to, and I'm not sure to whom, to Sirak or to Maeve directly. Right. I'm not sure who she leaked this info to. Um, the show has basically become Highlander, I think. Is it, right? <laughs> like there can only be only one. one. I mean, yeah. they do take off uh sato's head as well you know which is i'm like finally i'm so mad that this hasn't been happening like pearls have just been left around left and right and i was like finally <laughs> these clementine and Hanario show up and like get it done thank you so uh, yeah. i will say what it was a thrill to see those two characters show up again mm-hmm. um from a pure fan service perspective and uh i i gotta say probably westworld is the only show I can remember in in recent memory that has like really intense hand to hand combat with women wearing luxury dresses, mm-hmm. which is like very difficult to do because there's a no niche. petting, you know. <laughs> a niche opportunity. Uh, yeah, I I got excited when I was like guessing that Hanario might come back because I was like, ooh, and then she and Musashi can have like a really long fight, and it was like, nope, <laughs> she just like. Just kills him straight just up. Just stepped out behind a curtain and like sliced him all the way around. So never mind. Um, but I thought that was cool. I thought she looked great. I, I forgot how much I love her tattoo, uh, the dragon tattoo. And uh, I guess and when she, they bring people out of the goop, they still have the tattoos that they had, right? Guess so. Yeah. It's um, part, of, part of their uh, <laughs> you know, building uh, process. Yeah, but um, she, she and Clementine looked like great, like sort of stalking out of frame. Um, I would... I am sure we'll see them again in the finale. I am also pretty sure that they're just here to be like henchwomen, which is fine. Yeah. Um. But you know, uh, would have been nice for something else. But you know do, what? We'll, you know, we'll take what we'll we take can it. get. We'll take we'll what take we can it. get. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. All right. So that's the uh, the cold open, and then we get the intro title sequence, and then uh, let's talk about the Caleb and Dolores plotline. So. We basically learn way more about Caleb's past this episode through the course of many, many flashbacks, right? Yeah. And we're not going to like go through each of the flashbacks, but you do, there is one substantial flashback where uh, you see him, I think he's in Crimea, right? And uh, during a a Russian civil war, he's tasked with tracking down insurgents um, and they're, they're taking limbics, those things that go into your mouth, right? Right. Uh, which dulled the pain of life and existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he's doing is he's essentially like tagging people is what I can tell. Like tagging people, which are then uh, like marking them for bombs. Is that Yeah. Is, for right? like satellite. Like basically this is taking like drone attacks to the next level. It's basically yeah. like you can uh, pinpoint a target from space uh, in this future warfare, but you need these operatives on the ground to like assess the person and also assess the like I did a I, I did a little screenshot of the of the like thing that comes up when um yeah. Caleb was like assessing things right and it's like the Terminator view basically right, right. Yeah. and it's like 
plus or minus 10 civilians, minor structural damage, low retaliation risk, approved. So it's sort of like, you know, when we talk about drone warfare or like carpet bombing or stuff like that, you know, you talk about the irresponsible practices of the U.S. Army in terms of, or I don't know, your mileage may vary about irresponsible, but at least like the collateral damage that comes with certain ways in which we've waged warfare. And this seems to be an effort to try to minimize in future warfare. We're trying to minimize the damage uh, when taking out, um, you know, our enemies. I'm kind of anti-war in general. So, you know, I'm not like, yay, it's a good war. (laughs) Um, But it's, that seems to be sort of what they're trying to convey is this like future endeavor to be more responsible with our targeted uh, bombings. So Uh, how, how reassuring (laughs) (laughs) that we will one day have risk analyses, you know, calculated on the spot by algorithms that will determine who we kill. Um, I'm being sarcastic by the way. Okay. So then uh, there's a a weird part uh, in his flashback that's never explained. uh, As far as I can tell, I just want to shout it out before we skip past it. A couple times he flashes uh, to trying to shoot someone uh, on a, what looks like an American street. There are American flags. There's a Wyoming license plate on a Corvette and he shoots some guy with a gun. So maybe it's like a domestic terrorist or something like that, but it doesn't look like it has anything to do with, the Rico stuff, it looks like army stuff. Mm. So I don't know what they're, maybe there's something like hidden in the, uh, you know, um, external information that Westworld released this season about the timeline uh, and all the stuff that happened. But uh, that, that just, that shot just stuck out to me. They went back to it twice and it's just interesting to see Caleb who is in theory working for the U S army, like shoot someone in what looks like almost like a 4th of July parade or something like that, you know? So to, to summarize this Caleb plotline, um, yeah. what we learn in this episode is that, uh, I think it's Rehoboam. Is it Solomon or Rehoboam? One of them identified that basically there are outliers that, that must Solomon. be yeah. Solomon, right. That must be, um, cleaned up people who don't fit into Solomon's view of the future. Mm-hmm. I actually just, you know, on one of my other podcasts slash filmcast, uh, we actually just talked about the movie demolition man. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar, <laughs> super similar to this movie in every, or in this show in every way. Uh, but one of the, one of the things of that, one of the plots of that movie is that uh, there's a guy who's like created a whole system to have a utopia. But if you don't fit into that system, then it goes pretty badly for you. Yeah. Um, so this is like a common thing that's been, you know, for decades we've imagined such a thing where there are outliers and they need to be cleaned up. And uh, and the system uses outliers to clean up other outliers, which I think is a, a kind of great reference or a, a sharp reference to the fact that in, throughout human history, um, governments, institutions, mm-hmm. uh, oppressors have used the oppressed to yeah. do the oppressing. Yeah. Um, and – uh, this is kind of a futuristic version of that. Uh, so not only that, but you find out that the Rico app is also something that is like it's basically state sponsored pretty much. I mean, I had jokingly brought up like, hey, pretty sure you shouldn't be leaving like a digital record of all this stuff. Turns out that was a feature, not a bug. Uh, John Robinson. That was the one moment of this episode where I was like, whoa, <laughs> the Rico app. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, whoa, Dave Chen was right about something. Um, uh, also that, yeah. Uh, but no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, uh, 
and then you you learn more about like what happened with that guy Whitman who was being kidnapped and he had the tape over his mouth. And uh, what's you know what's satisfying about this plot development is the entire season we've seen Caleb flashbacks and they always look a little bit off. You know, there's it's like he's going back with Francis and he's Francis gets shot and. But it, does, it does, never looks like he's really in a war-like situation. It looks like just a regular situation, but they put an interesting Instagram filter on it. And finally, we find out exactly what happened, which is that uh, essentially Whitman was one of those outliers. And the system pay, like kind of uh, recruited Francis and Caleb to take out Whitman. And then one of them, either Francis or Caleb, to take out the other one. Right. Um and Caleb was able to uh take out yeah, get the get the jump yeah. on him before it happened. Um but uh that's what that whole plot line was. So any comments you want to say about this? Yeah, I want to talk about a few things. Okay. So first of all, we get a screenshot of like their Rico log. So Francis and Caleb are basically two two outliers themselves who have gone successfully gone through the program uh and then become um outlier uh, assassins or round it, round, round them up sort of thing. Uh, the Rico log, we've seen the kind of crimes that are available on the Rico app. Uh, and so we see them listed here, uh, in this like, uh, screen of their, of the log of their activities. It's like kidnapping and ransom, assassination, arson, enhanced interrogation, blah, blah, blah. And then you have these results next to them. And this is new. So like kidnapping and ransom, it says success. And then in brackets, it says pod and a number. So it's sort of like, okay, so they were assigned a kidnapping and ransom gig. They did it successfully. And that person was placed in a pod. Or there's assassination, and then it's listed as success, and that person's listed as deceased. So they like this is an outlier that could not be like tamed and was killed, sort of thing. Uh, so either you're put in a pod or you're killed, and those are the two things that uh, Caleb and Francis were doing as part of this thing. But didn't seem like they knew that that's what they were doing. You know what I mean? So that whole log is kind of interesting to look at. Um, Do, any then, idea? Any idea why people are put in pods? Is my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to go through what how I understand the workflow of this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> so, so Sirac, uh, you know, Sirac and Jean Michel create Solomon, right? And Solomon, being the I guess schizophrenic French AI that it is, is like, oh, these are liars. They have to be killed. All right. So I'm not going to do that. Okay. So Solomon, uh, the AI, uh, this is what Sirach said two episodes ago, that Solomon would send these outliers into places where they would likely die, war zones, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's Solomon's solution for getting rid of these outliers, right? Sirach's like, I think there's a better way, especially because my brother is one of these outliers, right? It's personal for me. I want to figure out a way to, quote unquote, fix these people, not just kill these people. Uh, and so the, the, the program to fix people is to, like, edit their minds, right? And that's what happened uh, with mixed success with Caleb, right? He's a success case. He's been uh, edited, right? But there are some people for whom the the editing process doesn't work. But Sirach is not trying to kill those people because he doesn't see himself like he he fancies himself the good guy. He's a humanitarian, a way. really, this guy. <laughs> so instead of killing them, he's put them, he's like cryogenically frozen them 
So we see Jean-Michel up at the top of the like sort of dais there. He's frozen in a pod sort of upright there. And then all these other people are frozen in these pods below the coffin looking things. And my understanding is according to like what Sirach's hologram says to Dolores and Caleb when they walk down there is that he is looking for, he needs more genetic information in order to figure out how to fix these people, Mm. including his beloved brother. And that my understanding is that is what he's after that Dolores has, which is the Delos information, the like human mind mapping stuff. So he wants, so in Sirach's ideal scenario, he gets that information from Dolores and is able to successfully edit or geld or, or whatever you want to call it, um, fix in his mind, all these people he has frozen over the years, uh, including his brother. Uh, well so, explained. Well explained. Uh, and I was wondering, like, why are they uh, spending all these resources keeping all these people alive? And right. I was also quite worried about whether they're all dead now. Um, because of the EMP that went off. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. It's a good question. <laughs> it's not um, <laughs> funny that these fictional people might be dead. Ooh, maybe they're all awake now. Um, uh, <laughs> ooh, I didn't even thought about th- that idea. That was that the first thought awake. I had when she turned on the EMP. Was oh. well, what about the like thousand people in the other the, in the next room over? Like, are they going to be okay? Um, um, I have a, I have a couple <laughs> quick follow up questions if that's okay. Um, the outlier thing we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I think this is my like kind of worry was that the outlier thing seems more and more to be synonymous with like mental illness of some kind. Mm. Um, because you know Dolores says that Jean Michel was schizophrenic. Um, Caleb and Francis like PTSD, but also Caleb's mom is schizophrenic. Um, you know, so that might be like related information. Um, so like, I, I'm not super stoked on that sort of, uh, one-to-one, uh, comparison situation. Um, the other thing is this idea of like, I, I still don't understand how the, we've cured all sickness thing works um, in the real world because Francis talks about how his son is always sick and they're doing tests and they don't know what's going on. And Caleb has a sick mother and in season one um, for Anthony Hopkins character said like, we figured we basically figured out how to cure all diseases. Mm. So is that true for just rich people? Um, or uh, is it true that if you are in the Rico program, uh, they make sure that one of your relatives is like quote unquote sick so that you have an incentive to keep trying to like uh, get that money and do that stuff for them. Wow. N- neither of those possibilities occurred to me. I thought it was just a situation like uh, CBS all accesses Picard where, you know, uh, <laughs> even though uh, in Star Trek, the next generation, it's like, Oh yeah, w- w- we already solved world hunger and no one has any money anymore. You know, like, but then for the show, they were like, "Well, we don't want to, we don't want to do that on the show because otherwise that, w- that would be boring." I disagree with them, but that's what they thought, I think. And so they're like, "We we need to sex it up a little bit on Earth, and uh, that's why Earth is a little bit more exciting." And I think that's that was my assumption. They're like, "Oh wow, we really boxed ourselves in with that Ford speech in season one. Let's just pretend it never happened." Maybe I just think it's a weird coincidence that both Caleb's mom and Francis' son are sickly, you know. Yeah, and and in need of financial support. Um, also, Arnold's kid as well, right? Uh, Bernard's or, kid. Well, the idea was Bernard's Arnold's kid. Oh yeah, Arnold's kid was like in the before time. 
I like see. before they figured out how to like, yeah, yeah, you okay. know, cure yeah. all sickness. Um, the, uh, so Rico, we've been assuming that Rico, uh, is related to sort of the Rico, uh, you know, that we know, which has to do with like crime. Uh, but I, it occurred to me, uh, that the actor Enrico Colantoni who plays Whitman, uh, he goes by Rico. I know that for a fact. And, uh, he was on person of interest and seems to be like a friend of the Nolan. So I'm wondering if they named it Rico as like a little inside joke about the actor Enrico Colantoni. I think that would be really fun. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed this, but there were like, um, these funky glitches in Caleb's memory. Um, you know, like while he was remembering the past, uh, like little images would pop up, little glitch images of like data not found or whatever. Mm. Um, media data, media, media file not found, et cetera. So like as a representation of his glitching, glitching mind. Um, and I think that might be all I want to say about that. I still don't know what's up with the eyes on their masks. Uh, that they wore. Yeah. I think those, those are super creepy and we don't know exactly what that's about. And um, I thought it was cool the way that the like, I think it's Cyrillic, but like all the signage that Caleb remembered as being like uh, m- placing him in Crimea, like turned to English when he remembers like what actually happened sort of mm. thing. So, and I like speaking of Enrico Colantoni, I liked his appearance as Whitman and this whole idea that like Whitman's telling the truth about what's happening. Um, but he's also kind of playing Caleb against Francis at the same time. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so it, um, I think it works really well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and, uh, when you find out the truth of what happened, it, it does fit in. And this, this cannot be said of all of Westworld's twists, but when you find out what happened, it's like, Oh yeah, that, that makes complete sense. How that, that, that played out and why, uh, he was acting that way and all, all the stuff that Caleb remembered. Uh, I, I like this as a twist. I think it worked well. So, uh, Also, uh, you know, after this, Caleb stops doing personals. <laughs> so <laughs> he's no longer doing this. And and I guess we can assume that um, that incident we saw earlier in the season when they like take that guy sort of like screaming out of the club, um, that that was like one of these cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or like that guy was an outlier sort of thing. So. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Caleb and Dolores's plotline overall. Um, so there was a divergence in Sonora, according to Rehoboam, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see Caleb and Dolores on horseback. It almost looks like they're back in Westworld. Uh, and- yeah, they they use this shot in like every trailer, and people are like, "Oh my god." <laughs> They're going to go back to Westworld. Uh, but shout out, uh, as I do every episode, I'll figure out a reason why to do it. Shout out to Kim Renfro at Insider because she on the like on the breakdown of the trailer was like, OK, the wide shot is Dolores and Teddy. But the close up is Dolores mm. and Caleb. She's like, I think they're messing with you. And yeah. indeed they were. So, nice. yeah. So then they have a little dialogue where uh, Caleb uh, it, like. <laughs> Caleb asks basically like if uh, if Dolores killed a bunch of people and then she reve- basically it's revealed uh, that Dolores is a robot that killed a ton of people right and this is baffling to me <laughs> all and and like not just because I'm wrong but all season long I'm like wait until Caleb figures out she's a robot oh then, my god then he's gonna really gonna deal. turn on her right oh my god or not even like turn on her but it's gonna be a big deal and then it was just like 
feels like it happened between episodes. <laughs> it was like, I mean, I guess he figured it out in the genre episode when she got shot full of bullets in front of him. Yeah. But like, we then we never got a moment where he was like, truly holy shit because he was like still in a like sort of drug trance it was is, i find that deeply unsatisfying <laughs> that he's uh, like so you're from westworld right and you killed a bunch of people well cool also it's the fact that they didn't they seed it in earlier on that he was like not into machines and he was into yeah. the real way of doing things yeah. and it's like when is he gonna, when is he gonna, i'm sorry when is he going to grapple with that you know yeah. is he going to grapple with it i thought we were going to see him grapple with it in some way but no nope, Gra- grapple he did not grapple he did not <laughs> so Caleb has basically become the new Teddy this season. You know, she's asking her like, "How many more people are going to have to die for you to come?" And it's like that's like something Teddy would say. In fact, it's extremely close to something he did say. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit unsatisfying. I was hoping he would do some. He'd be a, a character that's a little bit different. Although to be fair, apparently he's going to lead the uh, insurrection. Um, well, I mean, I want to know your opinion on this. Like, how much is what percentage of what Dolores is saying to him is complete and utter bullshit? Um, I would say uh, 20%. Ooh, I'd say like 65%. <laughs> what do you think is bullshit? Well, she's like, oh, my, my, oh, my people. Oh, they're all but extinct. But you humans, you can survive and have a better, freer world. And you should lead them, Caleb. And I'm like, Dolores. I know that's not what you're up up to. Like, I know that's not your plan. So, like, you know. So, you think she's just using him? She doesn't see anything actually special in him other than in his utility to her? Yeah, I do. Hmm. All right. Oh, be a leader, Kayla. Be a leader of men. Um, Yeah, I think she's gassing him up. And I think she's full of bullshit. And I I actually agree with Bernard. Like, I'm not always sure Bernard has the the right read on Dolores. But he's like, Bernard's like, she's going to use Caleb to destroy the humans. And I'm like, you know what? Because, like, even Solomon says... The AI, when he when she like insists they have this like uh you know revolution uh game plan, Solomon the AI says to Caleb like you know this is the you're probably not going to survive this. <laughs> Caleb's like give me the plan. <laughs> uh, so like I you know I think Dolores knows that she's setting Caleb up for a fall. Um that's that's what I think. I could be mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, yeah, it's it's not. Out of the realm of possibility, but it seems like Caleb is a very willing participant in this. Um, uh, so. I, well, sorry to be contrarian, but um, I think they kind of set it up in this episode because, okay, so there's this moment, not to get ahead of ourselves, uh, but there's this moment when Dolores is talking to the AI and uh, who, like, does not like Dolores, and I love that about the AI. Um, he's like, We're not the you? same, you and I. <laughs> You're just a Delos box. Anyway, so she's like, she's like, sort of, uh, you know, like touching the back of her neck and remembering the explosive that used to be in her spine. And she's like, You know, we're the same, you and I. They've, they've put these things in place to keep us here because the EMP, I guess, is there to keep Solomon in the hang i don't know how that works but i believe it fine so they both have like things on them and she's like you know we deserve to be free or whatever and then caleb's like i don't want to be here and dolores is like you have to stay and then he says it again later he says i don't want to be here and she says you have to stay she says it to him twice and so i'm like okay so she's sitting here talking about like how someone like kept her in a cage and what isn't she doing the same thing to caleb hmm 
yeah, that's fair. She she is full of contradictions, but I think that uh, to uh, to support Dolores's opinion in this, <laughs> I mean, the the idea right is that any system that depends upon human enslavement um, or human suffering to survive uh, should be destroyed it, mm-hmm. it is kind of my right interpretation of what they're trying to counteract here. And there's many works of art and fiction uh, that, that speak to this in our society. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, I, I, despite how uh, duplicitous she might be, it, it did feel like there's an argument to be made that her cause is noble and that Caleb's cause is noble. Whether now, yeah, well, I, there, I there mean, was this kind of there was this weird cognitive dissonance moment where she says like, you know, now you're free, Caleb. Stay behind and listen to the plan and do exactly what it says. Yeah, <laughs> there's this like she's like walking away. She's like, you're free now. Now do exactly what the machine tells you. You know, I'm like, okay, okay you're kind of sending mixed messages here. Well, also, I mean, like, I honestly believed, I kind of believed her that like maybe she wasn't out to destroy all of humanity. Maybe she's out to free human. Maybe she really was out to free humanity. And it wasn't until this episode when she was like, "Oh, my people, we're all but extinct." And I'm like, "Girl, I know you're bootlegging goop and downloading <laughs> like plans to print new hosts and like planning to bring back all the people who are in the valley beyond." So like. I know you have a robot rebellion plan up your sleeve. So what is this whole like rancher's daughter act that you're, you're playing for him here? Like that's, that's the moment where I was like, Dolores, I don't trust you at all. So, yeah. All right. Well, I I think we've actually covered most of the plot points of this Dolores Caleb thing. And uh, I'm curious if there's anything else you want to highlight about this plot line. I thought it was, I think the visuals are really cool in terms of like the way they like said, Solomon's name and like a pathway lit up or she's like let's show him what he's really missing and the other pathway lights up like I thought all that design stuff was really cool it, it was like a, a form over function in my opinion I'm like why would they really design it this way but at the same time it just looks so freaking cool you know when, yeah. and the the way they did the shot too it's like I, if I recall correctly the uh, Dolores and Caleb are in the foreground out of focus and you see in the distance this like walkway light up into like leading up to Jean-Michel and it just is like, wow, just looks amazing. It's breathtaking. Oh, breathtaking. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And um, uh, what else did I want to say? Oh, um, I like that um, Caleb's user number, like U45.1, uh, is very low. And later we hear Williams, which is really, really high. So it just sort of tells you like how many – how many people they've gone through uh, in this program. Yeah. Um, I liked the Sirac hologram stuff. I thought that was really good. I like his, I like his part where he's like, um, I wish it could be with you, but like, I'm, I'm not the man. Like I was like, I'm like Sirac isn't, you know, fancies himself a, a savior of something, a fixer of something, but he also knows that he's gotten his hands really dirty in order to do that. And so he knows like he's he's trying to build a future that his brother can live in this world. Um, but he knows that he doesn't belong with his brother in that world because of who he's become. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I thought that was really I thought that was really poignant. Yeah. Uh, and I thought uh, Vincent Cassell as a hologram um, delivered that very well. I liked the comparison between the two cold storages like this is a version of cold storage. Um yeah, I guess that's it. 
guess that's all I want to say about that. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool things about this whole uh, plotline, I think. Uh, and uh, if, if you could look past the fact that it's basically a robot telling you exposition for most of the episode, <laughs> uh, I think uh, there's a lot to enjoy here. All right. At least it's a French robot. Um, and uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Before we move on, uh, we got to thank all the people who donated to our Kickstarter. Um, so th- these should be the final names of the people. So if we, if at the end of this we have not read your name, let us know at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. We'll give you a shout out. Uh, but yeah, Joanna, you have some people you want to thank. Yes, I would love to thank Percival Buenaventura, Elizabeth Gelly, uh, or Jelly, Fabian Reinhardt, Fiona Hams, Brian Ott, and Jordan Keith Hayes. Thank you so much. Thanks to Sean Hurt, Drew Connor, Randy Phillip, Tristan Akiyama, David Koplos, Casey. Nate Stitch, Craig Smith, Jason Majiora, and James Prescott. Thanks so much for your contributions. So basically, these are people who uh, either submitted their survey responses a little bit later, or uh, they didn't submit a survey response at all. So I made a best guess of what their name was based on their email address. Oh, Um, okay. (laughs) So some of those names might be completely wrong. But uh, anyway, if we didn't give you a shout out, uh, and we were supposed to, I think we got everyone, but uh, if you were part of that tier and you did not get a shout-out, email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. We'll try to sneak you into the last episode. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right. A couple of other things happened this episode. Uh, we got some Bernard and Stubbs William exposition this episode as well. There are Inner Journeys, which is in the Marin Headlands in the Bay Area. Have you been to this area? Uh, yes. Um, yeah. I grew up in Marin County. Uh, the Marin Headlands is a, like a beautiful uh, protected parkland. Um, but it's got the the view from the headlands has got that great view of the bridge in San Francisco. So movies always try to like put stuff there uh, so they can use a shot. So like a lot of like the planet of the apes mm. stuff, like the apes like build their community out in the headlands. Um, or uh, my favorite use of it is in Ant-Man. Uh, they come back from San Quentin, by way of the headlands, which you like physically cannot do, uh, just so that they can get that shot of the bridge, that establishing shot to show you where you are. So I laughed. I laugh anytime I see something in the Marin Headlands because I'm like, of course. Um, but it, but it, the the location of Inner Journeys clears up my question from last week, which is like, 
why does Dolores need the Mexico location when Sherry knows where William is? And the, and the answer is William is in Marin, which Dolores already knew, but in sending in like basically inserting this Trojan horse into William's blood and putting it in the system, she was able to hack the system and find out the location of this lab, which is in Sonora, Mexico. So two different locations. Um, and that sort of, Clears up my questions from last week. I guess about. like nano machines or something like that, or what, sure, you know, it's a future this is, baby. This is like when or, Jeff Goldblum gave a alien spaceship a virus, pretty much <laughs> in Independence or, Day. Listen, um, hold on, I want to preempt some emails. If you could do this now, <laughs> like, like if Elon Musk is doing this now, I apologize in advance. Yeah, and I'll, Elon I'll Musk's hail. Blood X program. <laughs> okay, anyway, <laughs> so. Uh, all right. So William finds out Stubbs is a host, and he's pretty unhappy about it. He uh, he basically <laughs> ends up wanting to. He he realizes he's the good guy. That's what he is, in the last episode. He's like, "I'm the good guy." You know, I figured out what what I'm gonna do. And that thing, we're debating what does that mean. That thing is, I'm going to kill all robots. Right. Great stuff. What a plan. <laughs> that is the plan. Um. And uh, so then uh, other things that happen, William says he knows where Charlotte is and he's going to kill her. But then uh, William also finds out that according to the system, he's deceased. People using your genetics for their own personal gain. How's that feel? Huh? Don't lecture me, you fucking can opener. I don't know what Hale did, but I know where she is. So I'm going to do something with her blood, like mop the fucking floor with it. If you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. Looks like we won't have to. According to this, you're already dead. What did you think about that? Oh, I feel like uh, because they could not like successfully edit him, like using mm. the AR therapy was a failure. That means he would have been shipped off and put in a in a box, I think, or killed. More than two. But like, you know, it was a way for them to talk about the way in which Ciroc is disappearing people. Yeah, right? yeah. He finds out a lot of things in this episode. He's deceased, um, and also that uh, Ciroc has successfully taken over his company, um, and uh, that he's an outlier as well, right? Like you just you talked about earlier, how he has this kind of identification number, um, and then he decides he's going to kill all he, all robots. Uh, anything else? They they leave inner journeys, and. Um, he like has them at gunpoint right at one point yeah okay so we need to talk about a couple things um <laughs> we need to talk about what is going on with all the lines that they gave ed harris to deliver like when he's like i'll do something with charlotte's blood like mop the floor with it i was like what is that line um or he's like kill me now or i'll kill you later i'm <laughs> like okay um uh <laughs> did i just see like, this he- vulture interview with ed harris Yes, where he talked about uh, not being happy about what he had to play this season. He's just he just is very clearly over Westworld. In my yeah, he's like he's like openly unhappy with the fact that he's playing. Yeah, he said I signed on to play the man in black, not the man in white. I don't know. He's just sort of like it was confusing. I didn't like it. Like well, well, he's saying he's saying that uh, the thing that was interesting that he said was that he he enjoys theater, right? And when you do theater. You're doing the same show every night, 
but you're trying to make it new and fresh and, and give some frisson to the live uh, yeah. performance. But in order to do that, you need to know the arc of your character, right? And he was saying he was very frustrated that he basically is finding out, like, on an episode-by-episode episode basis, like, what's actually happening. Yeah, and I mean, this is a question – I mean, this is a question I asked Tessa Thompson last week. Like, you know, like, okay, because, like, when I interviewed Tessa Thompson last week on the Still Watching podcast, I was like, uh, okay, who are you playing when you wake up? Like in this season yeah. and she's like, Oh, it's like a ba- a baby version of Dolores. I was like, okay. I was like, who were you playing at the end of last season? And she's like, Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, so what do you do with that? What do you do with a, like, she's like, I just tried to stand there very still and look very neutral. And I'm like, she's a complete, she seems completely unbothered by it. She's like, I really trust Jonah and Lisa joy. I'll do whatever they say. Like, I don't care. Like I trust in their process, blah, blah, blah. But like, I imagine that Ed Harris can't be the only actor like frustrated. I mean, if I were a performer, I would be frustrated to not know what's going on with my character. You know what I mean? Cause then like, how do you build, how do you zig and zag and stuff like that? Like, uh, well, I asked Tessa Thompson that as well. Like, um, you know, given that you're playing Charlotte Hale for two seasons without any idea that she has like a family and then you have to like recalibrate your entire idea right. of a character you've been playing for two seasons. Cause now you find out that she's got a family in the centerness and then, you know, she, she sort of figured it out a way that it made sense to her and that's great. But like, I imagine for some other people, it's not that easy. So that is definitely what Ed Harris is dealing with the season. And it does seem to me, he's great. I really loved the like William group therapy thing last, last episode and stuff like that. But it does seem at least in this episode that he's just sort of like, all right, you want me to read these lines? Cool. I'll just I'll just do this. <laughs> Fine. Yep. Kill me now or I'll kill you later. Um but yeah, so he's he, William has decided that his original sin is like uh helping to fund the creation of the robots. Um and uh they stop to get a car at like a gas station and he gets a gun and he seems to think he has the drop on two somewhat bulletproof <laughs> robots who are a lot stronger than he is like yeah. i don't know what kind of upper hand william thinks he has here at all yeah uh on stubs and on two of them like maybe one and maybe maybe one if he like knows exactly where to shoot like he does like he does <laughs> I, I hear Stubbs' head, right? arm is a little weak so maybe he can <laughs> exploit that maybe <laughs> but i was just like i was like this plan is not great william i have yeah, to say william's plans in general haven't been haven't panned out super well overall so, um, but, but I will say, uh, so like Stubbs does this search for like subjects for whom the treatment did work. They find Caleb. And so they're like, aha, this is why Dolores has It's him. Caleb. It's the guy from the other plot line that we've been <laughs> you watching. Remember, you remember him. <laughs> um, we met him at that party that one time. Um, it, it has kind of been the side effect of the, this fractured storytelling is you have characters discovering information that the other characters already know and that we know because we've watched them discover it too. This um, is all Bernard has been doing all season. He's <laughs> yes. one step behind everything all season. And it's so frustrating because Jeffrey Wright can do so much more than yeah. uh, like what they've given him to do this season. But, um, okay. So they figured out that, uh, it's Caleb and then, uh, Stubb starts like peppering Bernard with questions. He's just sort of like, what do you think she wants with him? Blah, blah, blah. What's her plan? What's her plan? What's her plan? It is nothing to dissuade me of my theory that Stubbs is a mole for Ciroc. I'm still on that theory. 
Because he's just sort of like, if you rewatch that scene at the gas station while Ed Harris is getting his gun, sorry, while William's getting his gun, um, Stubbs has just got a million questions. He's got a million of them. You know what I mean? So, like, if he gets his intel, like, let's say he is working for Ciroc. He may not be. But, like, let's say he is. And he gets this information from Bernard where Bernard is like, I understand Dolores better than you guys. And I understand why she needs this guy. Well, now maybe Ciroc knows why she needs Caleb, you know? Mm. So, I don't know. That's I'm still on that theory. I'm going to say the, it's going to, like, The Stubbs blow... is working for Ciroc theory. Is yeah. Theory. I'm not like saying it's going to, like, blow all of our minds. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> sure there are bigger reveals to come in the finale. But, like, I just have not forgotten two things. Number one, there's another Dolores Pearl out there. Number two, Ciroc has another mole. And I just don't know who else it could be. So... You know, I want to pause here for a moment, actually, Joanna. We talked about our reaction to season four of Westworld uh, happening earlier in the, ep- the episode. But one of the big disappointments I had with finding out that information is I'd always kind of proceeded watching the season under the assumption that because it was going to be the final season, uh, they were going to leave it all out in the field, as it were. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, they're obviously, I've already killed some people left and right, but... Uh, this is the season that maybe Dolores would die. You know, this right. is the season that maybe uh, Bernard would die. You know, like all these, or Ed Harris would die. Like all these characters who uh, have we have enjoyed over the years and who have done great things, like make the ultimate sacrifice or are ultimately felled by their flaws, you know, what have you. Uh, and that just feels less likely now that there's going to be season four or... Uh, they might die, but then the show's going to find some way to bring them back like they did with Clementine, or season four is going to be like a complete reboot with all these different characters that we've never met yet. Or, um, I mean, as far as you know, Charlotte Hale is just a face right now. So like one crackpot theory I had is like, what if Charlotte is successful in getting rid of all the uh, Doloreses? And what if she decides she wants to like look like Evan Rachel Wood again? So that, like, the Charlotte Dolores <laughs> is played by Evan Rachel Wood mm-hmm. in season four. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. It could happen. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Charlotte Charlotte needs a new body. I don't know where she got that. I don't know where she got that face. I have questions. <laughs> uh, you, oh, you mean the fact that her face, like, looked better than it did last episode, this episode, you mean? She got a new face. Where did she get it? It it didn't feel like a new face to me, John. It felt like you a, think she wiped the like yes yes burnt bits off of her face. Yeah, she cauterized her wounds, um, kind of melted the silicone so it looked a little bit better. Maybe, okay, maybe. Um, but yeah, no, no, I I agree with you that like we thought we were headed towards something like very conclusive soon. Yeah, and it seems like we're not. That being said, honestly, if there is an opportunity. For more Vincent Cassell in the future, I am a thousand, like, the only person I don't want to have die in the finale. <laughs> That's not true. It's not the only, but top he, of my he's list. He's going to be the one person that does. <laughs> is Ciroc. I want more Ciroc. I love him. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, so then we have a, the, a Maeve. Yeah, right? Maeve does a few things in this episode. Um, and, uh, the, the most important thing she does is show up in a black bodysuit and katana stepping off a helicopter looking completely badass. Oh, amazing. Not your enemy, Maeve. No. Well, what would you call someone who murdered one of your friends? Well, I suppose it wasn't you exactly. I'll enjoy pulling your head from your shoulders all the same. 
We're at war, Maeve, fighting for our existence. Your existence threatens my daughter and the others who escaped. I won't let you enslave them for whatever war it is you're trying to begin. She and Dolores together. I mean, like, she and Dolores and Caleb, by the way. I mean, it doesn't matter for Dolores and Maeve, but, like, they're all in, like, what looks like a very toasty hot Sonora, Mexico, (laughs) in, like, head-to-toe black. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm sure Dolores and Maeve don't sweat, but like poor Caleb, get get the guy ticked off. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they're in their like black ops gear, all of them. And yeah, uh, this fight looks incredible. It was all it was awesome. It was a great it was fight. Really cool. Really great cool. fight. Yeah, yeah. And you get you get to see like what what happens when two robots go at each other, and they're uh, they're not invincible, but they and, uh, can withstand w- more damage than humans. And right? neither of them has sustained an injury swimming. <laughs> um several miles to shore yeah um the uh do you feel like the kitchen fight is a jurassic park reference hmm it's possible it's possible uh, someone else suggested maybe the raid uh it might be a reference to the raid as well but like mm, i just i felt no. like i was like here are two predators in a kitchen i was waiting for one of them to slam their head into like a you know roll down door or something like that the moment um, when Maeve cuts Dolores's arm off is like genuinely shocking though well isn't you know? it isn't uh I might have gotten this completely wrong I thought the like copter drone like blows it off oh um yeah doesn't it like right. shoot her arm off yeah yeah no no, no. But I'm it sorry is, about that yeah, yeah it is well I mean like it would be more shocking if I hadn't seen the trailer, but um, yes, it was a, it was a really cool moment. I, I misremembered how she lost her arm. That's my bad. Um, but yeah, it was it was a shocking moment, and uh, and it it looked amazing. It looked like very convincing. You know, oh, I mean? great! It yeah. didn't even occur to me that it's like CG or anything like that. Um, uh, and the the whole like military tech that's introduced in this episode it feels very like Call of Duty futuristic stuff, like. Um, dr- this drone, drone that is like very yeah. quiet, and uh, they, they, she can like mark. It actually reminded me. You know, what it reminded me most of General Robinson. You know, to bring up random references um, is <laughs> the opening action sequence of Mission Impossible Three, where they have this they have this gun, this massive gun, and they can mark targets inside of a building, and then just like kill them all in, like instantly without even like shooting through the wall. Basically, you mean um, the sequence starring Carrie Russell? That's correct. Yes. The Felicity uh, sequence. The Felicity sequence. Love it. Um, yeah. It, it was interesting because like even Caleb looked dazzled by it. Yeah. And like he he participated in like see a, a satellite drone strike. So like, you know, he's like, well, well, this is some fancy drone shit right here. Um, yeah, it's creepy and uh, very cool. And um, the I liked I thought it was. You know, for all there are parts of this episode that feel like kind of clumsy to me, I liked the um, uh, like we we get we saw that little drone robot earlier in the episode. It like walked past them, and we're like, "Hey, that looks like one of those robots that Maeve took over <laughs> a couple episodes ago." And then Maeve takes over the robot, and I was like, "That was well set up." You know, like it comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere, but it was like established. Yeah. You know, when that robot like slices into Dolores out of out of nowhere. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And then the EMP stuff, like I admit I missed it. The Like 
the way that uh, Aaron Paul says EMP, to me, it sounded like AMP. Mm. And so he's like, when they were walking, he's like, why does it have a military grade AMP? And I was like, I don't know what he said. I'll go back and figure that out later. <laughs> and then they got to the end of the episode and Dolores hit that button. I'm like, what just happened? I don't well, understand. Well, also, like, typically when you see an EMP, like, in the Matrix or something like that, there's, a, there's like, a visual representation of what's happening, right? Uh, there's, like, blue oh, like shock, shock waves wave. or something yeah, like that, right? Yeah, but they don't yeah. do that here because they, no. trust, they trust the intelligence of the viewer, Joe. Well, I had to go back and be like, okay, say it slower. Oh, EMP. Got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that was very, very smart of Dolores, but, like, uh, I hadn't thought about the ramifications for the coffins. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing thoughts. Um, I don't know if this means. Yeah. Is this the end of Maeve? You know, they're is Maeve, dead is Maeve or done? are they just, are they just down for the count and resetting? Yeah. If I had to guess, I would guess that. Uh, uh, I, think gone, I think they're gone permanently and that the, like Maeve, Maeve is vanquished. And then like, this Dolores Pearl is basically toast, but there's still other Dolores. Like, you basically mm-hmm. need to defeat them one by one, right? I don't think this is the end of Maeve. The so season? That... What? Well, because don't we see everything, like, sort of reboots back? Like, the EMP... Okay, explain to me what an EMP does. <laughs> it, it basically, uh, I, I guess deactivates or short short circuits everything that has electricity in it that has an electrical circuit in it permanently you know it's been depicted differently in different things um okay like in goldeneye when they did an emp uh it like basically destroyed everything right it didn't yeah. just shut it off it was like okay now you can't use you you had a toaster now you can't use that toaster anymore you know mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, okay. I, I don't know. According according to Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. best source in the world, yeah. EMP interf- uh, interference is generally disruptive or damaging to electronic equipment. Yes. And at higher energy levels, a powerful EMP event such as a lightning strike can damage physical objects as, such as buildings and aircraft uh, structures. I got to imagine this was a pretty high intensity one. I I feel like it's not a kill switch. I feel like it's just like a system shut down sort of thing. That was my interpretation. Of was it. that your interpretation? Was that your impression of Dolores just now? System shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Powering down. Um, <laughs> and that they'll reboot and they'll be like, bong, you know, like that. Uh, <laughs> Love the sound effects. So my guess uh because I thought I thought we saw the lights start to blink back on on Solomon, though I could be wrong. Um, I thought it was just like a like putting the brakes on whatever's happening. Sort it of would like be trying. it would be a fairly sudden death for Maeve uh, after like building her up all season, and then like not even a particularly meaningful death. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, she didn't know that they had an EMP and they turned on the EMP, and now she's dead. <laughs> What's that? You know? What's that? An EMP? Oh shit! Yeah, yeah like so, so that—that's the reason I would think of that. It's like yeah. But, so I don't think she's toast, and I. So what I would guess, uh, and I don't know, uh, is you know like Caleb walks up and he sees them, and my guess would be that like Caleb picks her up and like gets her out of there. So like maybe he takes the helicopter or he throws her on the horse. I don't know, and they get out of there, and while she's still unconscious, and by the time Maeve gets up. They're gone. That that would be my guess. 
Okay. Um, I think but I don't know. That's probably right. That sounds a lot more Westworld than what I said. Um, <laughs> System shut down. I, uh. <laughs> I think also uh, that Maeve has 19 lives, basically. You know, she died at the end of the last season, then Ciroc brought her back, and then she tried to kill Ciroc, and she's like, nope, I'm going to reboot you again. And then she gets shot up and she's lying in the goop and Ciroc's like nope gonna reboot you again and then she gets hit with an EMP and Ciroc's like gonna reboot you again even though well, this whole Maeve this plan is not really working out super well from what he I kind of said this is the last reboot <laughs> um, and then uh, so yeah I don't think he's gonna give her like a full reboot but I think she's just out I think she's just unconscious that's what I think alright um, I don't know like, what does death even mean on this show? Yeah. You know, it's hard yeah. to say. It's probably so. all a simulation anyway, so. <laughs> it's a mirror world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to mention from the episode? Um, no. <laughs> I don't know. What's your What's your take on, like, how well it's all worked with um, with Caleb? Like, how successful is a, of a character has Caleb been this season? I'll say I liked the reveal of that his mind is being erased constantly. You know, like, that's that's uh-huh. interesting. And like I said, the fact that he's he's an oppressed person being used as the tool of the oppressor, like, that's interesting. But then the whole thing about, like, now you must follow the plan, you know, that is going to defeat the whole system. It just felt pretty clunky to me. It... it, it, it he spends most of this episode just observing people do things and observing things happen to him, you know? Yeah. Uh, and not really taking an active role. And the one thing that he could have taken an active role in, which is realizing that Dolores is a, a machine and that that goes against his whole philosophy, he he doesn't do anything with. So yeah. mixed bag, mixed bag. I, I, they're relying, you know, I, I saw uh, like featurettes where they say, so so happy to have Aaron Paul uh, on the show this this season. He's such a great everyman, you know? Right, we talked they, about that. Yeah, right. And they are relying yeah. a lot on that look uh, yeah. to get that idea across. Because I, in terms of his actions, it's just there's just not that much there. Um, yeah. So, mixed bag. In my, I, the, again, all the him with Francis stuff, I actually like all that stuff. All that flashback stuff is cool, in my opinion. Um, I think I think the ultimate reveal is cool. Well, I mean, like we should talk about really quickly before we go. We should talk about um, how similar it is to the Memento reveal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do we want to talk about spoilers? Spo- spoiler from Memento. For Memento. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the movie Memento, which was written by Christopher and John, Jonah Nolan, uh, they uh, the the main character discovers that he is basically a tool of this uh, malevolent guy who is using him to murder people. Uh, for his own ends, right? Did I get that right, basically? Right, and, you know, he, like, there's a, a, like, a vengeance, like, he's he's avenging his wife, who he thinks, like, like people have broken into his house and killed her, but in, he finds out, eventually, that he killed his wife. Yeah. With, uh, by insulin giving her too much shots, insulin. Right. <laughs> The great Stephen Tobolowsky uh, is in that <laughs> film as Sammy Jenkins. That's um, but uh, yeah, so the reveal is very similar. Um, and but like, which I'm not mad about. But like the um, Jonathan Nolan is obviously very uh, captivated by this idea of memory 
and because this is like a theme of Westworld since the beginning and is a theme of Memento and I would argue of the prestige a little bit as well. Um, this theme of memory and like if you don't if you don't have your memory, do you have an do you have your freedom and do you have your identity? Right. Um, or put it different way, your memories can shape the person who you are. You know, like you right. you can be a normal like. Think of think of who you are right now. But if you you were everything about you stayed the same except they replaced all of your memories, you could have a whole different personality. You know, and that that idea is very compelling. That like, and then if you can control that, uh, then someone can theoretically control what you're doing and what your personality is, which is yeah, very, uh, very very interesting idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. If if that becomes possible. Um, the other thing I want to bring up right here at the end is, um, you know, we mentioned the, speaking of Jonathan Nolan's past works, we mentioned, um, person, persons of interest, is it persons of it? No, person of interest, mm. um, his CBS series, uh, and sort of some, I read an email earlier this season about some of the similarities between person of interest and, um, Westworld. And, and some people responded to that with a little bit more information about later seasons of person of interest that I'm going to read now. So spoiler, spoiler to person of interest, the late, uh, this, this particular email, I got a bunch of emails about this, but this particular email comes from Emmanuel, uh, who writes in the later seasons deal with two, two sentient AIs created separately unbeknownst of each other, but becoming aware of each other. Sound familiar? One AI, one AI called the machine is sided with the protagonist while the other machine called Samaritan looks to control and possibly eliminate slash destroy people who it determines are a threat to safety and security. So this again feels like Jonathan Nolan is exploring territory he's explored before. And I don't, I'm not like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, honestly, um, to be preoccupied with like a theme or trying to perfect a story that you've tried to tell before. Um, did you happen to see the, uh, the insider, um, video about the similarities between Snowpiercer and Parasite that was going around, uh, no. this week? No, but, so, but, uh, I did, I did have a Snowpiercer tingle, um, because of this idea that this, machine is founded upon like slavery and suffering uh this um I, well both machines are right um and uh it might be best to destroy them okay anyway go ahead well the the video which i really recommend people uh check out it's a little long but it is really good uh, and i'll find out the exact title of it um basically uh looks at visual not just visual visual and thematic motifs shared in common between Snowpiercer and Parasite and the way in which Bong Joon-ho who directed both uh, and wrote both, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, is basically perfecting a story he started in Snowpiercer with Parasite. And I sort of like that idea of, of like a creator perfecting something, um, you know, given an opportunity to, you know, cause I like, I like Snowpiercer, but I love Parasite. So I would agree that P Parasite as a, as a story of like class oppression and like, uh, uh, you know, p certain class of people caught in a machine and, um, you know, moving up levels, whether it's levels of a train or like the physical levels of, uh, you know, the city in parasite, like, um, I think all of that stuff is, is really, really interesting to continue to explore. And, um, I think it's, I think it's fine for creators to do that. 
this is very, seems very similar. This sort of like du- dueling AI concept. Um, but you know, we'll see if, if maybe he has some, some different outcome in mind this time. Um, this is like, uh, when, yeah. if you watch like Aaron Sorkin sports night, do you ever watch that show? Uh huh. Yeah. And then watch the West wing. There's plot lines that are just completely copied over from yeah. sports night into the West wing. Yes. And, uh, but you know what? Can you plagiarize yourself? Really? And if you can, is it a bad thing? Whatever. <laughs> so this uh, this video, which was put together uh, on uh, Insider, uh, the title of the article is How Parasite Director Bong Joon-ho Recycles Moments from Movie to Movie. Uh, but that t- headline doesn't really do justice to like how good I think this video essay is. Um, and uh, so I think you should watch it. But uh, yeah. We'll, we'll link to the show notes. We'll link to the show notes. Yeah. So. It, uh, it just really... Um, I'll be interested to see what the person of interest <laughs> fans think of, of this latest development uh, in Westworld. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. One episode remains. Uh, before before we go, just uh, anything you want to see in, in the finale episode of, of the show, this season? Anything you're most wanting to be resolved? I guess the thing, <laughs> yeah, the thing is, he, like, here, here's my question: is is Caleb literally going to execute this plan in one episode? You know, like, or maybe that's season season two is revolution. Oh, season four, you mean? Oh, sorry, yeah, season four is revolution. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you sound so tired. Um, yeah, I bet that's a setup for another season because uh, we're gonna, you know, I think. I think a uh, Ciroc oh. uh, shock. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Everything's great. I think a Ciroc, uh, Ciroc, a physical Ciroc confrontation. It just, it just is doesn't feel like they're going to wrap everything up next episode. You know what I mean? Well, they're not going to wrap everything up. <laughs> doesn't even feel like they're going to wrap up most things next episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's what I want. I want them to figure out something to do. <laughs> Even even if they don't give it to me in the finale, I want a hint of what they're going to do next season to give Bernard something interesting to do. <laughs> and like, or just kill him. Don't don't give and him some, don't give Jeffrey him something Wright. interesting. Don't give him something interesting. Just hint that they might give him something interesting <laughs> next time. That's that's where my bar is. That's all you're looking for. <laughs> that's all you're looking for. I mean, come on. Like Jeffrey Wright, he's so great. Brilliant what are you doing. Brilliant what are you doing. Uh, um, I would love to put Ed Harris out of his misery. <laughs> Release him from this show if he doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Um, you know, maybe it's just, I'll say this, like, maybe it's just who I've self-selected into, like, uh, who's following me on Twitter. But when I tweeted out this Westworld news, you know, I got a few tweets that were like, oh, man, I'm so excited about this. You know, it's season four. And then I would say about half the tweets I got were, I'm basically hate watching this show at this point. Or, you know, I'm really like, how how could they possibly extend it? Everything feels like they're trying to wrap up this season. How could they possibly go an extra season? Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm going to be like pretty peeved if if a ton of stuff is left unresolved. Um, but at the same time, 
as that I, I have had some good times this season and I've enjoyed talking about it with you. Oh, so. I love talking about it with you. It's funny. We did, we did get a couple, I mean like, yeah, we self-select, um, certain things we did get an email we got salty email i want to read part of it uh from a listener (laughs) judith in germany it's very salty i will chalk some of this up to like language barrier which she mentions a couple times uh Uh, but she says she says here it comes it's annoying to listen to the smugness so i listen to something else about westworld no problem but who is your audience with decoding westworld is it all hate watching like in germany that's a thing with for example heidi klum and germany's next talk model everyone here hates her and her show every week after a short and expensive trip to the netherlands i meet with my friends to eat loads of unhealthy shit and hate the hell out of that show uh is it like is it like that does westworld deserve it we are really fucking spoiled if that's the case uh you know like basically judith just like love you guys don't want to listen to this show anymore though because of your <laughs> smugness and are you just hate watching westworld mm. um so are people just hate watching i would say the vast majority of emails we get are from people who are really seriously trying to engage with the show in a meaningful yeah, way. yeah 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 i don't think that like i know of a i do know of a lot of people uh who have dropped off the show this season uh because they don't like it um but that's you know, I also know a lot of people who voted for Elizabeth Warren in the primary. <laughs> so, like, you know, what the heck do I know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And if you if you you know if you look at like the the <laughs> announcements on like social media about the fourth season, you'll see thousands of people getting super psyched about the people show. People are stoked. Yeah. So you know, it's and like, yeah, I love talking about the show with you. Um, I do think the show is wildly different from the show that it was in season one and <laughs> wildly I'm, different it is and not I, yeah <laughs> and for my taste i vastly prefer the show it was in season one yeah but if other people don't feel the same way or whatever like you know hey man there are people who love the final season of game of thrones so it takes all types right right uh, i mean I, I think that the the reason why you know i'm i'm doing this podcast at all in addition to enjoying talking with you about anything is that uh, at its best, you know, Westworld has been brilliant, you know, Um, season two, right? So many moments brilliant. I mean, and you loved, you really liked the premiere of this season. I really liked the premiere of the season and the vision of the future, something you can't find anywhere else, you know, and it's just like, at its best, it can be so good. And then just so often it ends up disappointing me personally, not necessarily everyone who's watching it, just me personally. Um, And so that's what you're hearing on the show, on the podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of the final episode, I, I guess things are just so complicated. I just I, I don't know that I have much confidence that it's all going to be resolved in a satisfying way next episode. Um, you know, uh, there was a show recently, um, uh, Better Call Saul had its finale, excellent finale. But Wait, what show? Uh, Better Call Saul is the name of the show. Oh, I never heard. And, of it. But it it. You know, the finale played like uh, an episode that where the creators of the show knew that they would have another season to tie things up. And uh, at the same time that it can, it was a great episode of television, I'm also like, oof, it's going to be a long wait, like years until we get to see what happens next. So, I'm better know, Saul? Uh, for Saul? For Saul, yeah. Um, years? I think best case scenario, 2021. Oh yeah, best course. case, but like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's assuming you know. Um, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, 
sorry for a second i forgot about the global pandemic <laughs> um, um yeah i think if the announcement today had just been like season four of westworld and you're like oh, okay they didn't know they were tying it up this season but they're given one more season to tie it up like that's great like love the final season of the leftovers like i just really love it when really smart um TV writers know that they're finishing something. And right. I think yes. Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan are very smart. And I think their writers, the people they're working for them are very smart and they proven that they can do a great story. Uh, Cause they did it in season one. And so I think one more season I'd be like, okay, okay, let's wrap <laughs> it up. Let's show me what you got. But the, <laughs> I hear six seasons. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. All right. Well, we'll find out next week uh, whether or not it it does tie up satisfyingly. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, r- reminder, next week's episode is going to come out late. Uh, so do not expect it on Sunday night. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Until next week, John Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, at vanityfair.com. Uh, another podcast I'm doing right now that I'm really proud of is, uh, still watching Mrs. America. We're covering the, um, FX on Hulu series, Mrs. America, which I am a huge fan of. And we've got great, fantastic guests. This last week we had, uh, Rose Byrne and Tracy Ullman. Mm. Um, this upcoming week we have the great John Slattery. We've had Kate Blanchett. We've had Uzo Duba. Oh, care- careful, Johnny. All these names you're dropping. Oh, it's, it's a lot put of your hard hat on because I also got Elizabeth Banks and Margot Martindale coming up. Oh, so, yeah. shit. Yeah, so come check it out. Star-studded occasion over on Still Watching uh, Mrs. America, which is a Vanity Fair podcast. So nice. check it out. I am very much looking forward to diving into the show. Um, I have not started, but I will soon uh, because I've heard it's awesome. So It's great. All right, and you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen, S-K-Y, and also check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant. This week I interviewed Alan Yang, uh, who is the co-creator of Master of None. Woo! And, uh, he I love a, Alan Yang. Yeah, that's he's great. awesome. He directed a movie called Tiger Tail on Netflix. Uh, yeah. So we talk about that. All right. Thanks for listening. Sorry, I didn't mean to step over you. I'm, I'm, I was genuine. <laughs> that was genuinely a woo. I'm, I love Alan Yang. I can't wait to listen to that uh, interview. I'm a big fan of his, so I can't wait to hear your discussion. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com or search Culturally Relevant on any of your podcast apps. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 